1: it is John Pollock and oh how I have missed that music for the a special edition of the post daily news show because we are coming the out news of music. yes it is a uh, very very nostalgic for me am I every day at one o'clock that that sound that would just uh go through my my entire head as the world was spinning but we had an impromptu earnings report this week Brandon just just like that boom we've got a earnings report to drop uh, that they announced uh Monday afternoon and uh we're going to go into all of the the report that came out earlier today and the much anticipated call with all of the analysts but uh what what did you make first of all of just this uh very impromptu announcement Monday afternoon I mean we knew this report was coming um but I mean I read it so fast I'm just thinking to myself oh okay we've got a week's notice and then I'm realizing the date wait a minute this is tomorrow morning at 8:30 in the morning and they were dropping the documents I I think I saw them come into my inbox before 7
2: yeah, when they, uh, when I put on my tinfoil hat, I feel like they, they're, they're tracking my location. They, when they made the announcement that there's an additional $5 million of unrecorded payments, I was driving, I pulled over, got off the three way, pulled over into like a truck parking lot, and uh, l- looked at the filing. Uh, and yesterday they dropped the 10Q, which is the, the long report, the most detailed quarterly report the most detailed piece of information that they publish every quarter. And uh, I was not expecting that at all. I figured, you know, it would be maybe posted around this time today. Uh, so they, 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 I, they're keeping me uh, on my guard here. I guess I expected, um, I expected it to be Tuesday or Thursday. I mean, we, we mentioned that on Sunday on Russellomics radio that, you know, Tuesday and Thursday is usually the time that they want to do this. Uh, I think just for stock market timing reasons, and I, you know, they were obviously late here. I, I expected if this was a normal situation for them to do their earnings call on August fourth. That obviously didn't happen, and they were trying to catch up on how they were going to deal with all the unrecorded expenses. So I guess they there might have been other factors involved, but they wanted to get it done sooner than later. I guess.
1: How did you like the eight thirty a.m. Uh, conference call? As opposed, we, we've gone now from. Uh... Thursday Thursday mornings at a, at a reasonable during business hours time to uh, Thursday nights at 5 and then boom, Tuesday morning at 8.30 a.m. Do you think this is a, a pattern of things to come or do you think this was a, a convenient time where um, it was it was going to be very tough for people to be following this uh, live and in the moment?
2: Yeah, I, I think most earnings calls for publicly traded companies are, are done just after the market closes. I, I figure they'll go back to what they were doing before. Um, yeah, I did have to get up a little bit earlier than usual to handle this today, but,
1: uh, I, I know that Nick Khan purpose- was looking at the calendar and he's like, oh, it's the first day of the G1 at Budokan hall. And I know yes. that, uh, th- this is going to cause a major problem for people. So let's, let's do it right at 8:30 so AM head to head of the G1. That's it. It was G1 actually, it was actually a perfect raw, lead. And I
2: like the rating for raw. <laughs> yeah.
1: That's it. Um, in, in terms of going into the, this call, obviously so much centering around Vince McMahon. Do you feel that going, going into this call that they believed that Vince McMahon would, would dominate the questions and the subject matter raised by analysts? Because I, I did think Vince would be a major topic of discussion and it was All really
2: Vin, Vince McMahon about I, Vince on this call.
1: There were no questions about Vince. I mean, Stephanie did bring him up with pretty much, you know, in, in glowing uh, tribute to Vince more than anything. But it, this was not something that was a pressing matter for the analysts about the investigation, about the the unreported expenses. They were all looking to the future. And I think the executive staff, they were more than happy to field these types of questions uh, rather than uh, prodding at the investigation and all of
2: that subject. They are all looking forward to the next analyst in Earth, maybe. Um, no, the, there were you know, I, I sent out I tweeted a list of questions uh, and questions about like and, and, and I understand it's an it's an analyst call, it's not these are not journalists, um, but I I would think there, there's a there's an investor interest in asking a question along the lines of you know, since June 15th, since this story began, or even since your investigation began, which was early, earlier than that, what have you done to ensure that talent and employees are not going to be subject to sexual harassment, considering you've got allegations surrounding a CEO and, uh, and a head of talent relations. Um, but nothing, no, nothing in the Q and a that even mentioned Vince, Brandon Ross from Lightshed asked a question. He, it's, he seemed to be getting to, to whether or not that he's going to sell, um, and there was a little bit of Vince discussion there. And Stephanie brought up that Vince McMahon is still very much the controlling shareholder. He still has eyes on what is best for our business in terms of maximizing our return to shareholders. Um, but it was, you know, what she said other than her earlier glowing comments. There's, you know, there's a lot of vagueness. And I'm, I'm sure they they prepared well for uh, for saying a lot of words but not saying anything they don't want to say.
1: Yeah, the pleasantries for Vince McMahon were reserved for Stephanie McMahon, consistent with the on-screen farewell to Vince McMahon. There was the Stephanie McMahon segment on SmackDown, and that's what it was limited to. Um, n- nothing from uh, Paul Levesque or Nick Khan, at least directly, about Vince McMahon. In terms of just the actual quarter itself, they reported a net income of uh, – $49.1 million and revenue of $328.1 million. Um, you know, st- strong increases over the quarter of a year ago. Um, j- just take us into some of the, the overall, uh, analysis you took from the performance this quarter, which of course encompassed the two night WrestleMania event, which did give things uh, a pretty sizable boost.
2: Yeah. I mean, just financially, uh, I do my estimates every quarter. This was, pretty close to what I expected, but then again, this is uh, they, they gave preliminary results, so they gave away already an adjusted OEBDA, uh, which is their favorite non-GAAP measure, and they gave away operating income a few weeks ago uh, when they, around the time, there's so many, been so many 8Ks lately, I, it's hard for me to keep track of them in my head, but at some point they gave preliminary financial results, so we, we got a pretty close idea to what to expect. Um, a lot of money as expected, a lot of, a lot of guaranteed money. Because now we have core content rights fees, that is, Ron Smackdown fees that are guaranteed over time that are fairly predictable. And in the network line, now that includes Peacock money. And the Q2 for Peacock is going to be pretty big every year because they, it's not clear what the formula is exactly, but they put, get a lot of money in the quarter that contains WrestleMania. Because I think they value different PLEs to different <laughs> extents. Um, we, we learned some, my favorite Q2 activity is to do the math and to look at the KPIs, the key performance indicators, turn to page four or whatever it is, the live events, and do the math because they give you an average. Here's the average North American live attendance with WrestleMania and without it. And from there, I, I enter certain numbers into a spreadsheet. And it tells me, in this case, we got two nights of WrestleMania now, so I have to deal with that. But 55,000 paid tickets per night is basically what they implied. They don't say that directly. You got to do the math and pull it out of there, um, but fifty-five thousand each night, about 109,000. and that's within a range of about give or take five thousand.
1: But so, wait a minute—they said one hundred fifty-six thousand. I watched WrestleMania both nights; it was one hundred fifty-six thousand people there, Brandon.
2: Each night, seventy-eight thousand each night. WrestleTix counted the, the ticket map and got about sixty-five, I believe, thousand each night. So, yeah, that, that would, I mean, I believe Russell Ticks is pretty close to the tickets distributed, to the tickets that were out there. So that would imply like 10,000 comps around that, uh, each night, something like that. That, that, would, that would, get up to like 18,000 comps. Um, so that, that's, uh, that's, that's what's implied in KPIs.
1: Yes, it was, uh, so the average worked out to, to 6,800 uh, per event for the quarter over 55 domestic events, yes. but without WrestleMania, uh, that, that goes down to 4,900, uh, w- without WrestleMania, uh, one area, and this has kind of been, um, a focus for several quarters now is their advertisements and sponsorships, which was one area, uh, that was down year over year. Um, and, and this is with the, the return to touring with, you know, a bigger WrestleMania this year that than last year, where it was a limited capacity at Raymond James Stadium and a question that Stephanie McMahon did field and this was somewhat tied to that business insider article about you know their performance and uh, how did how did stephanie take that question and uh, what were some, uh, some of your conclusions from uh, that specific area which wwe has been compared to ufc and it's you know been described as an underperforming s- section of the company
2: yeah a- analysts are really focused on this they have been for the last few quarters at least um, it's it's not something that would occur to me as being a big deal and i, and I even broke it out by quarter for the last several years earlier today and looked at it. And there's, there is growth. I I guess they expect more growth and, and maybe if the UFC is doing a lot better then they should be, you know, trending in line with UFC. Um, but I, I I thought it was interesting that one of her comments was, I've got it written down here. We had a bit of a, of a hold. We had a bit of a hold given the current situation, but a lot of positive momentum behind that. We are not, we are, and and we are picking up once again, Uh, I don't know what the given situation, uh, given the current situation is ongoing circumstances, I guess. I don't know if she was referring to the investigation. I I guess I can't imagine what else she was referring to.
1: I have Um, to think that that's where one would naturally conclude she was referring to.
2: And you contrast that with what appeared in, in the, the 10Q yesterday, where they updated a few risk factors in light of, 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 the Vince scandal. And one sentence that they added to the risk factors area of their 10Q is that, although we believe that no significant business has been lost to date it is possible that a change in the perceptions of our business partners could occur as a result of the investigation so i i guess maybe it wasn't significant maybe it wasn't material but she's certainly alluding to something some some sort of hold on interest that there was from advertisers apparently
1: yeah and this is where it was it was kind of wild for me because sometimes we do have stories that You know, maybe we are focused on day to day, but these are really not the topics that the analysts are going to get to the bottom of. But to me, like the Vince McMahon investigation is just has all these different tentacles that go into its business. It's like the Netflix documentary was never brought up in this, uh, a potential impact on your, your sponsors and advertisements. Uh, what is the status of this investigation? When are the findings going to be detrimental to this company? Um, you know, all of this, I I just think that there is a lot there that would certainly affect their, their viewpoint of the company and the WWE and not so, like hidden language is kind of stating like this is possible.
2: Yeah. I think I, I hear you know, after a lot of uh, like the, the AW uh, press conferences, they do a lot of criticism of, of the wrestling media uh, that, you know, some of it is justified. And I think there's, there's, it reminds me of that sort of situation where you had a lot of analysts. No, they're not. Um, they're not members of the media. They're not journalists, but they really could have asked some questions that are important to this business and important to, you know, what is going to change? And, and I think there's been a lot of a lack of understanding for years over what effect Vince was having on creative just because people who are involved with, uh, making estimates about how this company is doing financially aren't that familiar with, with what the content really is and to what degree Vince is adding to it or taking, taking away value, uh, to the company. Uh, but there is, there's no communication that I know of even internally about you know what's what's happening in the workplace? Have have there are there rules that have changed? Uh, how, how can people be assured that when they you know they talk to, to the head of talent relations or people working in talent relations that uh, you know they're, they're not going to be uh, punished or they're not going to be subject to sexual harassment? And I don't know you know when they write that the investigation is substantially complete. I mean I, I guess we're not going to get. Much more information about it, maybe. Maybe there's not going to be a lot of transparency into what exactly this investigation concluded. Among other things, I was going to, going to investigate was the company culture, right? That's something that they've disclosed. Um, so I don't know.
1: And you know what goes counter to that is, yeah, they they've stated you know throughout the the SEC filings, it is substantially complete is the terminology they're using for the investigation, and that. million has been spent on the investigation thus far, which Frank Riddick revealed in the call. Vince McMahon is going to pay for that 1.7 million. But despite being substantially complete, they expect to spend $10 million more, if not above that figure over, you know, continuing this investigation on top of it. So that would, you know, suggest to me that there is still plenty to be done with this investigation. If you're looking at an eight figure spend on, you know, the expenses related to this investigation.
2: I I, I guess they could be substantially complete now. And just that $10 million is going to happen in Q3, which is now, which, which those events could be in the past now, but just because we're in Q3, maybe that's something that's only going to appear mainly in Q3 and maybe not even into Q4, but, but we'll see. Um, what, what, what did you make of, of Frank Riddick's comment that, where he says, Vince McMahon has agreed to pay the $1.7 million of expenses incurred to date and, and additional but reasonable, I think he said reasonable, I had to listen to Yes, he said five. reasonable. Reasonable expenses of the investigation not covered by insurance. So is he saying that Vince is going to pay for, for the investigation personally, even while we're in the midst of, you know, getting him out of the company and reissuing our financial statements after he, Spent personal money on things. I had the the exact same. Had to be company expenses.
1: I absolutely had the same thought as you that the way I interpreted it was that, yes, this is going to be a company investigation that Vince McMahon is going to spend his personal money towards, which is at the essence of what he is being investigated for. Um I, 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 was, yeah, that demanded some kind of follow up or just a clearer explanation. But yeah, they explained and that
2: paying for that additional estimated 10 million for the rest of the year. Is Vince paying for that too? It sounds like it. It sounds like a
1: portion of it, at least he yeah. has agreed to pay for, not the entire 10, but between insurance, Vince, and then I don't know. Does the company assume a, a certain amount? Like this seems
2: vi- it, yeah, these are questions for WB. So is, is Vince McMahon going to pay for the investigation in which he is the subject of the investigation?
1: that I, I don't know how you could read it any more than Vince is contributing to this. I mean, he flat out said that Vince is personally paying for the 1.7 million that was just spent in the, in uh, previously on the investigation.
2: Yeah. Did, did you get a chance yet to look at the, the amended 10 K and the amended 10 Q that they put out? Um, I've only skimmed through it. It's, it's, it's not that big of a deal. I thought it, they, so it's basically W is $3 million less profitable last year because of this. Um, that they're going to incur some costs in this year that they wouldn't have otherwise, I guess.
1: Um, just uh, going going back to some of the uh, – um, just in terms of the actual uh, earnings call itself. So we had Stephanie McMahon, Nick Kahn, Paul Levesque, and Frank Riddick. And we mentioned Stephanie kind of addressing Vince right off the top and just pretty much giving a, a tribute to her father who has retired and a succession plan was in place and – You know, it it was interesting that the certain terms that you just picked out here, she frequently referred to uh, my partner, Nick Khan, like very much a, a united frontier. And also I felt like it was very strategic how they positioned the three of them as. We have been influenced from WWE since we were young children, like certainly giving this like we are kind of the, the youthful brain trust that is now steering the ship of this company. But it was very much the three of them positioned um, as equals on this call. And then you had Frank Riddick as well, who was um, giving his presentation.
2: And, and Paul Levesque included in this call to an extent that he's, he's, he has spoken on these calls in the past, but it was in a situation where like Vince would just throw to him and he didn't even realize that he was in the room. Yeah. Um, I imagine there's a lot of people in this room, but, but it, it's only ever made clear that there's like about five people in the room. Um, but yeah, I, I, and I thought it was interesting too, in the, the question that Brandon Ross asked to her, because Brandon Ross had brought up her leave of absence, which she started in May, which lasted about three weeks or so, uh, before she was made interim CEO and chairwoman. Uh, and she, and I think, you know, Brandon Ross had used the word forced to return forced to come back or forced to return and and she made it clear in her response that she says i was not forced into returning as a ceo and chairwoman i offered um i think it just leads to further thoughts about like what what really happened was it just because she wanted to to spend time with her family were there other factors involved um i don't know that we'll ever know but um you know she was she's making it clear that she was interested in in being the interim ceo and chairwoman
1: yeah that was that was Maybe the most interesting question that, that was asked because Stephanie not only kind of addressed her leave of absence that, yeah, went about three weeks. And then she kind of couched that with, uh, which is, which is more than most people have, I mean, to have a, a leave of absence. So she, she got her three weeks and then back into a, a co-CEO position and uh, Paul Levesque, I mean, they didn't go over any of like his health issues over over the past year, uh, nor the fact that this guy is wearing you know two significant hats, not just as overseeing creative but as well as uh, head of talent relations here beyond identifying
2: him as such he was, he was asked what fans and investors should should look for in terms of the changes to creative. He he said some sentences, but it didn't sound like anything other than some general, you know, rah rah about about producing good creative. Yeah, um, I guess it's just the context around the Stephanie comment that you know she's a member of the board of directors was and and now she's the chairwoman. Uh, very possible that she could have been aware of the investigation, which had started in uh, by by April. So as she announces her leave of absence on May nineteenth, uh, it, it's it's a a good question to ask. Like what did, did that have anything to do with why you left? But uh, who knows?
1: Yeah. And she also, I mean, she could have just like ignored the, the implication about the, the question like related to a potential sale, but she did, you know, address what, what Brandon was kind of uh, uh, getting towards.
2: And you read anything yay or nay from her response in terms of, is she okay with the sale or not?
1: I would say it was, I mean, certainly it it felt like it is a prominent enough subject that she could have, uh, answered that question without ever, uh, without ever addressing it. She could have easily ignored it and just gone on to the next question. She made a choice to bring that up. And the fact that, you know, we said several times that our mandate is to provide maximum value for our shareholders. Um, so I, I found it to be maybe the most interesting answer, but I think also one that Stephanie, like, I don't think she just got tricked into talking about something that she didn't want to. I think it was interesting that she almost like volunteered that, that statement and put it out there.
2: And she, and she alluded to reading between the lines of, of, of what was being asked. So she clearly knew it was about a sale. Um, I, I read it as maybe she, she's not totally opposed to it, um, but I've talked to other people who've, who read it the opposite way. So I don't know. A, these, these things are like poetry. Everyone has their own interpretation of, of, of these things that are said.
1: Yeah, th- this is one of those calls where I felt like Nick Khan w- was more so one of the the supporting players rather than the the featured star uh, of yeah. this call. Like he he had his presentation and gave his his state of the uh the streaming and and linear platform business uh, extremely yeah, optimistic.
2: He spoke. It's
1: amazing. That's right. That's right. The the word count is now going to go through the roof for uh for for everybody across the board. No one no one is dragging it down, so. Uh, yes, he, he did talk about some of the, the recent media rights deals that we have seen, uh, Netflix bidding on F1 rights and the fact that he feels Netflix is only going to have a, a larger appetite for, for live content once they add their advertising supported tier. And, you know, it seems very consistent with the message he had. Uh, brought forward that WWE is in a great position and with the added uh, streamers that are looking for live content they're going to have plenty of people knocking at their door
2: yeah I, I I've seen some discussion about uh some, some skepticism of the notion that you know Raw and Smackdown really end up on a streaming platform and not on a traditional tv network and uh they may not I would I would tend to think that at least most of the episodes of Raw and Smackdown in twenty 2020- twenty Five, right is the first full year I would expect most if not all of them to be on traditional TV or maybe there's eventually some sort of hybrid broadcast or maybe select episodes on streaming
1: you've suggested uh, NXT and I could certainly could, see that being a you know, fit somewhere
2: yeah so I think I you know the narrative that he's been pushing for could maybe probably over a year now that there's tech players interested uh, you know Amazon Apple Netflix. So those players don't necessarily have to acquire Raw or SmackDown rights for, for their participation in the bidding process to to motivate Fox or NBC Universal to bid higher than they would otherwise. So like ultimately, it's not necessarily about getting onto Netflix or getting onto Amazon Prime Video, but but about enhancing the demand for for WWE content and therefore enhancing the price and the benefit to WWE.
0: and putting away more money for retirement. Because unlike most wrestlers at the end of their careers, most of us should only plan on retiring once. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you.
1: Did you expect anything more just because it feels like these last, you know, ever since, you know, Netflix had their, their one quarter where there, there wasn't that growth. And now you, you add in like the Warner Brothers discovery, uh, their recent earnings call as well. Like th- this is certainly, I think just cast some doubt on people about, you know, these, these streamers just having unlimited Chocolate funds. Flat. Peacock with, without any growth over the last quarter as well. Like, it's not just this, this endless supply of money for content, um, that, you know, at the beginning of the year, I think people looked at a lot of these streamers as, as having and how that, that might affect some of these, uh, these other bidding wars, not just exclusive to WWE.
2: Yeah. It's sort of emerging. It's, it's going to be a more complex media ecosystem in the future in terms of there might be that linear is going to have some sort of role. In, in, in people's lives for a long time and, and streaming will be a big part of it too. But I think there was, you know, in terms of the, the sort of the saturation of, of streaming engagement and consumption in general, I think there was a little bit of a sign of that in what they reported today where they love to give us these Delta, per, you know, these percentages year over year and difference between what WrestleMania did this year versus last year and every other PLE. So it's 60% for WrestleMania it was up by 60% backlash. This is in order, chronological order, right? 60% for WrestleMania, 49% for Backlash, 45% for Hell in a Cell, 20% for SummerSlam. Stephanie slipped in the, the, this Q3 SummerSlam number too. So th- those are all lower than, than the one before. Um, down to just a 20% increase, which is still, this is good. This, it's, it was more watched than last year, but I think we're getting, as we get nearer to the present, we get nearer to the time where Peacock has, at least for the moment, stopped growing, where they only have 13 million paid subscribers, 24 million or so monthly active accounts. So we're getting close probably to the time where... And by the way, I was, I was trying to find it too. I, I couldn't find a Royal Rumble Delta. I couldn't find an Elimination Chamber Delta. I wonder if those are just less impressive. I doubt that they were like flat or negative, but maybe just less impressive. Uh, but yeah, I think you know, we're, we're getting into a time where, where streaming is... The explosive growth of, of streaming is, is definitely slowing down.
1: And unlike last year, we're not doing kind of the misleading comparisons of a Peacock pay-per-view right. compared to a WWE Network right. uh, pre-Peacock peacock peacock.
2: audience. But like if, but Peacock last year – and you can look at the comments that Comcast executives have made to verify this, right? Peacock oh, – maybe they didn't even start disclosing it. But anyway, Peacock last year definitely had fewer users, fewer subscribers than it does today.
1: Yeah, this was pre-Olympics, pre-Super Bowl, like they had right. that, that big growth in the, uh, the, the beginning of, of this year. So right. d- do you look at it, um, from your perspective of is, is Peacock's lack of growth? Is that, does that make WWE more valuable to them? That this is, this is one of our properties that it is performing well, or this is not the game changer we were hoping it would be. If you're looking at, say, a UFC and what its relationship to ESPN plus has been.
2: I think in the context of everything that's happening on Peacock they have to see WWE as one of the most important pieces of it. It seems like it's, it, it did pretty well. It sure is benefiting WWE, I believe. Uh, the, the stabilization of, the, of their otherwise declining popularity in a lot of ways has has flattened out, and I, I believe in large part because of just the larger audiences that those pay-per-views are able to reach on Peacock. Um, but I, th- I think maybe. It, it, I guess it just depends on what Comcast's, Comcast ends up doing, does, does NBC Universal end up getting merged together with some other media company and end up combining forces with uh, some other streaming platform for, for Peacock? It just seems really uncertain, and, it's, and more likely that will be some sort of complex outcome like, like a merger that that changes it, as opposed to like Peacock deciding that they're going to spend less, which they're spending billions of dollars on content for Peacock. But if they decide that they're going to spend less, I guess that's probably not good for WWE because it just means there's, there's less money to go around. But... But uh, unless they get acquired by NBC Universal, they don't necessarily have to stay on Peacock forever. There's there's other companies that might bid for for that content too.
1: Were you surprised at all that that nothing was was addressed regarding this Netflix documentary? That I mean, Denise Salcedo has reported like it's it's off the books for Netflix. Like I, I can't fathom that this thing is going to see the light of day, but it's just. Inter- interesting because you know nikon went out of his way to bring up in past calls you know how great this thing looks and boy you and wait till you you see it it's like this this is a major project um that they had undertaken and uh, not a, not a peep from they them
2: decided not to do it, you know, it actually became That's it. a really compelling story now uh, no they, I, they had their ending um i mean i'm not that surprised you know i i write up my questions and i don't realistically expect that many of them are, are going to get answered um but yeah I, there was a little bit of discussion, too, uh, about the Hulu rights, right? There was a question about whether – because those those rights, which people in the U.S., they can watch Raw and SmackDown the next day on Hulu, that's supposed to expire, I believe, at the very end of this year. Yeah. Um, I would think, you know, maybe by now there would be a deal announced, but there's not. And there's a question about whether or not they're just sort of holding off on that and considering rolling into the the upcoming live U.S. TV rights deal, which could be. Yeah, you could definitely see them selling that to to NBC Universal and those those rights going to Peacock uh, as part of a deal for Raw or something. But uh, Nick Nick Khan took that question and sounded open to it. But of course they they're they're open to just about everything. <laughs> but uh, that's conceivable, for sure. Uh, one
1: one other uh, subject that came up a lot was this uh, Clash at the Castle event that is coming up uh, Labor Day weekend in Wales and. Noting the fact that there was a subsidy involved in this that they, they are going to Wales for. It's, it's not just like a big stadium show. Like this is enough that, you know, this is a Saturday overseas. So there's no Smackdown that they have on the calendar for that Friday. So, you know, it's, it's, you know, uh, a big undertaking for them, but also, you know, opening the idea of uh, doing more of these where there may be places in the world that if they're willing to spend a certain amount of money, they will come and stage a, a live event for and Are
2: they taping SmackDown in advance that week then? So I
1: the previous week they're in Detroit and I I haven't asked, but I would assume that's a double taping like they did right before Saudi Arabia yeah. because on the schedule there's no SmackDown listed for that Friday,
2: nor would would that be feasible. Right. You know yeah I mean they they Frank Riddick mentioned Germany and France. You know fans in Germany and France I wouldn't get too excited about the, about a major PLE happening in either of those countries, but I could they could probably run a a pay-per-view in the UK every year for a while before they exhaust that market. So I don't know if that's what they should do, but uh, just to give you an idea of the demand, um, they, they definitely could do something like that. And it's, it's a question of, of, you know, why they took so long to, you know, to do a, do an event like that. I mean, think just back way back historically in 1992, SummerSlam and how well that did at a time where business was definitely not hot. Um, so and
1: and i think created so many fans for life in in that market like that event just gets brought up by so many people um that that i that i hear from there like that was just such a such an important event um just yeah at a time when popularity was very low here you went over there and it's a you know 30 years later i th- i think like that's the kind of event that it creates a lot of fans uh, out of something mm-hmm. that big
2: probably a, uh, this would really appeal to them there's probably a lot of lot of media that they could drive out of let's say do, do a show in uh, in Dublin, Ireland or something centered around you know Becky Lynch in the main event maybe Finn Balor and something important uh, stuff like that where they do have local stars in the country not just in the UK but maybe Ireland maybe maybe there's some other countries that they could go to where they have some some local talent who ends up in a big match around it. And we saw how, how big there's there's like a big Connor McGregor fight in in Ireland is that correct? Am I remembering that right?
1: They b- back in 2014 they did a fight night there with uh with with Conor McGregor. Um right as he was that that was after he had been injured for a year and came back and it was uh, I mean the atmosphere was just unbelievable uh for this card and they just loaded up the undercard with other Irish fighters and it was you know I I just think uh, a tremendous event when it came to just you know showcasing Conor McGregor's popularity and was really his he did one more fight on television and then it was just strictly pay-per-view after that that was just a fight pass event when they they ran that all those many
2: years ago yeah and, and just you mentioned the subsidy i mean if, if they can get similar things there was a question about whether this is Dave kronoski from jp morgan asking whether there's maybe they can uh drum some sort of bidding process for wrestlemania or or maybe there's a and Nikon did say that they're looking to replicate the subsidy that they got to do this event in Cardiff and in, in, in other cases with other major events. So, I mean, it, it just makes a lot of financial sense if you could get some help from the, the local uh, government to encourage you to do this, not to mention drawing a, a big live gate and, and all the downstream effects that it may have uh, that benefit you.
1: So they did mention the uh, the next large-scale live event. As and they did say Riyadh. They they uh are, they the country, are I guess yeah they they're giving out. So it looks like we are slowly moving out of large scale live event as like the the coded uh mystery. And we've now assigned that that same uh yes. anonymity to another executive that was also let go. Uh, yes. That the mysterious John Laurinaitis, Laurinaitis, who will will not be named in any of these uh SEC filings about uh, uh in terms of fallout from this investigation.
2: Well, they, they got away a couple of quarters ago with saying – with Nikon referring to a third large-scale international event, which is, in fact, not a, a third Saudi Arabia event, but but was the Cardiff show that they're now doing. Uh, but yeah, that's November 4th. Was that, was that new news or is that ever on any other
1: – November release? 5th. Yeah, that, that date had 5th. been out. Okay. Yeah, so that's a that's a Saturday. and. Yeah, presumably you'll, you'll, you would also like have a, a double taping uh, again with like the, the Saturday international event, which they did do back in February, I remember for Saudi Arabia, just uh, doing a, a double taping the week before. And as I recall, like there, there was no hit on their, their viewership either. Like the having a show taped seven days out, like doesn't seem to, you know, have, have any meaningful impact on, on the show either.
2: Right. So it's not like Fox is going to. Going to be upset about it. There, there could be some sort of agreement in the, in their Fox agreement or the Raw agreement that X number of episodes have to be live. But uh, I mean, went through the pandemic with a lot of those events not being live. Pretty sure.
1: So, are you still looking at you know a similar timetable of in terms of the U.S. media rights deals of sometime next spring that you could expect an announcement and that sort of being the ballpark here where you would, you would think like negotiations are probably ramping up. I am sure that Nikon has a very, uh, a very interesting uh, call display.
2: Yeah. I would think May or June that, because that, you go back to what happened in 2018, I would have to look, but it's definitely May or June when they made their 3.6 X increase on Ron and Smackdown. And if you go back to 2014, which was the round before that, that was, I'm pretty sure in May, because you can, you can tell I think in both of those cases, if you just look at, look at W stock, which by the way, the stock I think is up a few percent today, uh, probably just, I don't know, more spale sale speculation or, or they did beat on earnings, but we kind of knew what they were going to do. Anyway, uh, if you look at, look at W stock graph over the last, I guess, if you just go go to the all time, you can you can tell where there's this big drum up of uh of, of on the share price, and then there's this big collapse because they got a disappointing deal. They got an increase still in 2014 of 1.7x, but this is the infamous Hammerlock comment. That's right, where where Vince promised that they would at least, I believe, at least double, and then he was hyping triple, didn't happen. W network I think got in the way big time there because Comcast was probably not comfortable with this idea that you're undercutting our our pay per view and maybe that maybe you're going to cannibalize some of the engagement that we have on Raw and and SmackDown. Uh, but anyway, so they got a disappointing deal then. Stock price kind of collapsed, and uh, they got uh, the 3.6x deal in 2018. So yeah, I would you know it could take longer, could could take uh, shorter, but I, that would put it the, the target on you know late May or early June somewhere around there.
1: As we wrap things up here, uh, just because we, we haven't had a chance to ha- have you on in a little bit, just, you know, with, with all of these changes to WWE, they're certainly riding a lot of momentum right now from what you've been able to just see for, for yourself in terms of what impact this has had, uh, towards AEW and their own renewals that are going to be uh, coming up. Is it too early to detect, like, what kind of impact this is having on AEW and how they're looking at, at their next year as well. Once, once they're getting into their significant negotiations as well, like where, where does AEW sit today versus a month ago with all of this news and the changes to WWE? And I would say definitely a more reinvigorated fan base for WWE's product.
2: Yeah. I, I think the ceiling on AEW is lower when you got Vince McMahon not in the head of creative job. Triple H may or may not be a, an amazing head of creative, but I think he's going to at least be better. Um, changes have not been massive and immediate, but I think changes will continue to happen over time. And uh, you know, Vince McMahon long ago learnt, burnt out his benefit of the doubt, but Paul Levesque still has some benefit of the doubt. And if I think about you know, some of, the, maybe the, I haven't quite articulated it this way, but like if you think about the way NXT. Became gradually better over time. It was sort of the, the excitement of watching NXT at the beginning to me was that it was overperforming. Like almost, it wasn't, it was, it was getting to be really good. It wasn't supposed to be this good, you know? There's some excitement in that. Um, and it, it, it did move overnight from being a, a, an okay to, to good developmental brand to being like this, uh, you know, W uh, production value super indie. That was a gradual process um, and may, maybe main roster W under you know, Paul of X uh, head of creative leadership will be a gradual process too or maybe I'm just hoping that because I would like to like W programming to be more enjoyable for me um, but no, I, th- I think aw is going to find themselves competing for talent more especially uh, in, in contrast to what it's been like over the last year or so since NXT 2.0 happened and since the NIL program got put, put in place uh, you know, and, and since Paul Levesque was not in the in, in the NXT role and in the ta- talent development role for about a year there uh, things seemed to change and WWE seemed to withdraw from being interested in the same kind of talent that AEW was you know, interested in. That's going to change. It, it probably has changed already. Um, so there's going to be more competition for talent and AW's function as this strong alternative to WWE, uh, that's less of a useful function if WWE is actually good in the opinions of people who found it not good and needed AW to replace it. Uh, in the big picture, that, that's, that's sort of getting pretty, pretty far down the funnel in terms of how wrestling fans are going to feel. Um, but in, in like the financial picture, I don't, I don't think now that like, oh wow. I don't know if AVW is going to get a good TV deal now. I, I, I don't think that this changes much of anything for that because, you know, un- unless they start to, unless their ratings start to really sag, and Dynamite is still number one or number two uh, in, in the demo. I think that's, they're like seven out of the last eight weeks number one in the demo among cable originals in 1849. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're still doing, doing pretty strong ratings. Now, Rampage has some real problems with its ratings, did a decent rating last Friday. Uh, but Dynamite remains strong, uh, in its rank. So as long as it does, I think it's going to be in a good position to get a good TV deal. Warner Brothers Discovery, uh, strategy notwithstanding. But, but it doesn't necessarily have to be the case that AW has to renew everything with WBD. So we'll see. I think, I've said this a few times, but I, I think there's enough room for two companies of this size uh, in 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 the wrestling space that that are that have high visibility that compete for the the top level talent and, and there was throughout the entirety of the 90s and to an extent there was tna in the in the, in the you know 2000s as well uh but AEW i think is far past where, where tna was but uh yeah I, I think there's enough room for these two companies to exist in terms of it's not quite like a like a shoot sport where you have to have one super dominant league. It's kind of in many ways, wrestling is kind of like, yes, it's sort of like a live sport, except it's a work. And it's also kind of like scripted entertainment. And obviously there's a multitude of, of genres of, of scripted entertainment out there. And there can definitely be two wrestling companies that present wrestling differently that attracts different and some of the same fans, you know, who are, who are looking to, to get different parts of their wrestling appetite uh, served
1: my last question just you know b- being around like the the wrestlers in kind of like your scene when you're you know it, just the attitude you, you get from guys how it's changed over the last few years where you went through a period where wwe had just greatly expanded its its idea of who could come there and you know independent talent believing that i i could very well make it in wwe over the last year, that probably narrowed, and now it seems like it's much more open in terms of, you know, the uh, a, a talent who might have seen okay, AEW is my pipeline to, you know, national television fame, and WWE now seems to be. Uh, I, I would be very optimistic uh, as opposed to a couple months ago in terms of like different avenues to to make it to that level. Do you do you get that sense? Just at the independent level, like where is your your funnel to? You know, they, uh, a prominent spot in the U.S. scene.
2: Yeah, I, I think with, with Vince gone that, uh, all of these abnormal, <laughs> I guess things that, that were normal, that really didn't have to be normal, uh, th- those things don't have to be that way anymore. And I, I believe, you know, Triple H in about 2014 started to have a genuine change in his philosophy that I don't think has changed since then in terms of embracing wrestlers with wrestling experience. And I think like wrestlers, you know, who are in AEW for example right now they're going to when their contracts are up they 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 will have another major company that you know can afford to pay them very well and uh, may not even just pay them well but they may be signed to a company and actually be used in, in a way that creatively satisfies them so it's a it's a good thing for the the very top wrestlers this is a good thing that you've got two companies that are interested in the same talent and are and are willing to pay them well for it and you might even be happy, uh, with, with your creative output. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's a, it's, it's changed a lot. Uh, you know, I remember in, you know, earlier on when I was training people in like, let's say 2014 or 2015, I sort of, I remember telling somebody, you know, oh, you want to go to WWE? I don't, I don't know. You're, you're in college, right? Sign up, sign up for, you know, okay. You play football. Great. Great. Keep doing that. Uh, you know, try, try to be the best football player you can. And, uh, maybe they'll sign you, but that was just before things started to change. And then, of uh, you know, it kind of went back for, for a year there in the last 12 months to being, just be a college athlete again. But, you know, it appears that they're going to do both now.
1: Well, Brandon, uh, the time always flies with you. I always enjoy doing these shows with you. I'm sure you are going to have uh, plenty of coverage of the, uh, the Q2 earnings report. Uh, what can people look out for over the, uh, the next little while up at Russellnomics?
2: Yeah, that, that's, that's the news of the week so far. Whatever else happens, we'll cover on Sunday on WrestleNomics Radio, on your post-wrestling podcast feed, on the WrestleNomics Radio podcast feed, on the WrestleNomics YouTube channel. So, so many ways to consume WrestleNomics.
1: You guys, you guys are killing it. I, I think you are just uh, It's uh, – it's been incredible listening for you uh, as long as I have. I just feel like you're just – you're elevating the game,
2: Brandon. I'm just trying to keep up with John Pollock, though.
1: He's, no, John Pollock needs to needs off. to sleep this uh, this G1 earnings call combo uh, that I do not need to do uh, again on my uh, four hours of sleep. Uh, but that's going to wrap things up. So uh, go check out WrestleNomics. It drops here on the Post Wrestling Network every Sunday uh, with Chris Gullo and Jesse Collings as well. A, a great contributor as well to the uh, WrestleNomics yes. team. He, so he's been uh, on
2: frequently. Uh, I, I, I will negotiate with him about appearing again soon. Maybe, maybe this Sunday we'll see.
1: There you go. It's the uh, the Nomics next in line plan that is, uh, you know, producing yeah. stars on a, uh, on a on a on a monthly basis. Bad
2: habits, but yes, yes,
1: that is right. All right, we're going to wrap things up. Thanks to everybody for joining us and listening to our Q two earnings analysis.